Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Robert Schmoos. Robert is an autism self-advocate, a licensed clinical social worker in New Jersey, and a blogger for The Mighty. As a therapist, he currently provides individual and group sessions at a residential home for adolescents with autism and other co-occurring diagnoses. In today's conversation, we discuss how Robert learned about his diagnosis, his strengths related to autism, dealing with anxiety and COVID uncertainty, dating on the spectrum, his responsibilities as a social worker, ideas to help adolescents transition into adulthood and find a job, and disclosing his diagnosis to employers. In this episode, discover what's possible when a mentor guides by example. To learn more about Robert and his work, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, Please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you Robert Schmoos. Hi, Robert. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Could you please briefly introduce yourself? My name is Robert Schmoos. I am 32 years old from the United States. I am a licensed clinical social worker in which I work full-time as a therapist at a residential home for adolescents with autism and other co-occurring diagnoses. I am also a autism self-advocate in which I have done many conferences and talks on advocacy for autistics, especially in such topics include transitioning from adolescence to adulthood, mental health, relationships, and so forth. I've also written many articles regarding this as well. Great. So let's start off with talking about your autism. When were you diagnosed and how did you learn about it? Well, it all had to, had to really start when I was a young kid. When I was a child, you know, I I always thought there was something different with me. You know, I didn't understand social cues a lot. I had different types of anxiety when it came to certain social situations. Like I was able to have friends, but it was hard to me to like have full conversations with people. And, you know, I've also had narrowed interests. I, and to me, it felt like, you know, what was going on with me? Was there something wrong with me? Was there something that I was doing wrong? Or am I the only one like this? And, you know, it's just a question I've always had. Like, and when I got into high school, got to the point where my anxiety got too bad that sophomore year of high school, this was before President's Day weekend, 2005, I had a nervous breakdown in which I had to be hospitalized for that weekend. And during that hospitalization, I was observed by psychologists, social workers, and psychiatrists. And they told me that the symptoms that I have, and also looking at my past history, that they diagnosed me with 
at the time it was called Asperger's syndrome, which was part of the autism spectrum. Now, now it's just autism. So Plainly's point, I was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. I was told by my parents that, you know, a psychologist suspected that when I was 10 years old, that there could be Asperger's, but it wasn't a full diagnosis. What was that like for you to find that out about yourself? Well, I can definitely tell you for one thing. As I said before, I didn't, didn't know like what I, what was going on with me. Like what was, what was that part of me? What is that? And then when I found out about my diagnosis, you know, and I was told the symptoms, which was, you know, narrowed interest, especially like that part of the spectrum, like narrowed interest, difficulty with social cues, anxiety, social situations. When I found out about that, it's like, oh my God, everything made sense. And not only that, I wasn't the only one. Mm. Like when you have that feeling of finding out that, you know, you found something about yourself and there's something about yourself that you were wondering so much in your life, so much you've been trying to figure out, to find, to search for, and you found it. It's like a great, it's to me, it was like kind of relief. It's different for everybody. It's different for everyone. But for me, it was a relief. And to know that you're not the only one, it, makes it feel like it's not just me. And I remember once after I got out of the hospital and I was diagnosed, my mother, she, she's a teacher. She's going to retire at the end of the year. She showed me some books of, you know, Asperger and autism books to help with teens with Asperger's. Well, let's just plain say it, autistic teens. And I, it written down like different scenarios, like, and reading those scenarios about the people in those books, it was like, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine some validation also. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that can be for anybody, any type of validation they have in their life. It's like another step in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of your strengths related to autism? Well... That's a very good question because, well, first thing to point out is that every autistic person is different and their strengths are going to be different. For me, I guess the narrowed interests, like my narrowed interests on facts, like, you know, history, definitely. Love reading history. Like all types of history, music facts, as well as different cultural facts and seeing things in a different perspective. Like, I feel that's a strength. That type of focus is a very big strength for me. Also making, and I'm sorry, I said it before, you know, seeing things in a different view than most people, I feel is a strength. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of a situation when you clearly saw something from a different angle? Well, I guess the best thing to point out is through music. There's certain songs out there that might be about a different subject, but I see kind of a story through it, a different type of story through it. For instance, there's a song called I Am Mine by the band Pearl Jam. It's from their 2002 Riot Act album. And it's a very waltzy, very, very I wouldn't say dark, but anywho, like when I heard, heard that song, what I thought about was about the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl. Hmm. And I also hear different stories from songs. 
or the song Mighty Love. It's an old R&B song from the 70s. When I heard it, it's a, I see the story of a, of a mother and her child, the child growing up, learning from the mother. Another thing I see is when I go outside, you know, my apartment is right on near a lake. It's a beautiful scenery. And when I go out for a walk, I also run. I love running and working out. When I go running, you know, and I see trees along the lake, like I kind of see like like a painting. Hmm. Like I see how like the they call them warm colors and cool colors, kind of see like how it can be seen as a painting. I love art as well. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Thank you. What are some things that you struggle with as an autistic person? Social situations can still be difficult for me. Since living away at college, I've gotten better. But it's still kind of something I'm, I work on now, now and then. Also, I think my anxiety of like feeling that, oh, I'm not, I'm doing something wrong, even though there's nothing wrong going on, or I'm feeling like something bad, something you're not doing something right, or in certain situations, you know, that kind of anxiety is still there, you know, that worriness. Yeah. I definitely want to talk about your anxiety, but before we get to that, you mentioned that you've gotten better with social situations. Could you talk about the change, like what was happening before and what you did to feel more comfortable in social situations now? Well, for, for the one thing I can definitely say is that before going to college, like I, I got myself into clubs and certain activities, which I was able to make friends from them, but it was still kind of hard for me to get into conversations. And it felt like, like there were times where I felt like, you know, what, am I doing something wrong? Am I being too, too close? Am I being too awkward? You know, I don't even like that word awkward. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, you know, but then, you know what? As I got lived away at school, you know, I was living away, you know, living on my own. I kind of, you know, had to take one thing at a time. And, you know, I lived in a dorm and being in that dorm and being like in that close proximity, like being around others kind of got me to really learn, you know, some social situations. Like, I don't want to say mask my autism. Like I didn't never mask it, but I was able to pick up some things that I can put in my autism. Hmm. Like what? Just like how to greet people, how to how to start a conversation, you know, just things like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to describe. Okay. It's kind of like learned behavior. Got it. So you published an article in The Mighty a couple of years ago talking about auditory processing. Could you first describe what the difficulty is and then explain the technique that works for you? Well, there were many times, like especially in my early days of being in the working world where, you know, I had difficulty doing like multitasking. For me, I'm someone who has to do, okay, let's do this task. Let's finish off. Let's go to the next one. So what I would do is I would look at the task I was presented to at work. And, you know, I would focus on, okay, which one is the most, you know, has the most priority. And let's focus on that one. Kind of like a list. Let's focus on that one. Okay, then once we get down to it, let's do that one. And, you know, 
doing that and keeping that in mind has really helped me through that. Yeah. In your article, you talked about something called finding. Yeah. Like finding which one is the most priority. Okay. And then looking for like keywords, right? Yes. Keywords. Yeah. It's been a long time since I read my own article. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like what are the keywords? Like if someone said something that needs to be done, like what are the keywords? Like, and focusing on those keywords and using that to help me get the task done. And I feel that has helped me a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Robert, let's talk about your anxiety. Are there specific triggers that you can kind of anticipate? Mm, triggers? It's, it's, it's difficult to say. You know, because, you know, there's not a definitive trigger towards it, you know, like it's more like what comes out through that day, Mm. what might happen that might, and it might just come out of nowhere. Mm. So it's kind of hard in regards to that. However, one thing that I have done is kind of like to help me when, whenever those triggers come, it's kind of like focus on what I have to do to keep myself calm. Mm. <laughs> what do you do? Well, it always would depend. You know, and sometimes I would like listen to music. I would, you know, think something positive for the day, listen to like a good podcast, do some reading. Exercise helps also cleaning. That's helpful. It's like something that makes you feel like I've accomplished something. Mm-hmm. Does the anxiety last a long time? Sorry, Robert. First, I want to check. Is it okay for you to talk about this or is it going to induce some anxiety for you? Oh, no. It's perfectly fine. Okay. So how long does the anxiety last? Mm, It really depends. Sometimes it lasts like 15, 20 minutes. There's been times where it lasts a couple hours. But you know what? It doesn't last for too long. It's it's funny because, you know, it feels like, you know, then the anxiety's there, the thoughts come in that like make you feel anxious. And then all of a sudden, gone. Hmm. It's mind boggling at times, but you know what? That's anxiety is mind boggling in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. Have you ever thought about taking some medication for it? I do. Oh, you do? Okay. Yep. And that, that's helped me. Mm-hmm. So... Has your anxiety increased due to the pandemic? Well, in the beginning, it did. I think what really, really made it in the beginning into middle of pandemic, what made it so worrying for me is the fact that, especially in like social media, everybody was like saying all these were kind of like doomsayers. Hmm. Like, of course, like it, it was bad in the beginning. You know, people were getting it. People were dying like. It was bad, you know, it was really bad. However, you know, instead of like having the ideas like saying, okay, things are not good, but we're going to pull through this. And here's what's pull through this as one. It felt like everyone was against each other. And that got made me feel anxious because, you know, there's all people who were against those who were trying to be positive through this. And then there were those who were, who are negative being like who are doing precautions and they were mocked out and, you know, people were like mocking each other out during this time. Like, you know, it's like before this, the last like major incident 
the major like crisis I remember was like 9-11 and I was like in seventh grade and 9-11 like after that horrible tragedy happened oh my god people were coming together people were looking out for each other now I'm not saying nobody was looking out for each other during COVID a lot of people were but felt like there was more animosity mm-hmm. as well fortunately it's it's gotten better well from what I've seen it's gotten better and and definitely, like COVID's still out there, but it's been getting better in in more places than others. Yeah, yeah, thankfully, and with the vaccine too. Vaccine's been very helpful. Yeah, my heart goes out to like you know places like India, which are mm. still struggling. Yeah, were there any specific strategies that helped you cope during the pandemic? Being able to be with my family. I, I have to say I was a lucky one where I was still able to see my family. I was still able to, you know, go to work in person. I was still able to do that. And I was still able to see my fiance. I was still able to see her Mm -hmm. during this time, which I think all that really helped me. That helped me having like, you know, you can say like counting your blessings. Mm -hmm. And that really like, that was like a count counting the blessing, you know, like look at, okay, things aren't good, but look at what we have right now. Like you have these things and consider yourself blessed. And these are good things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely practicing gratitude regularly can really reduce some of these feelings, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be, gratitude can be hard, especially Mm -hmm. when like, feels like the world's falling around, falling down around you. Like, it can be hard to be gratitude, but if you find your gratitude, like use that as a strength. Don't let anyone take that away from you. Don't keep negativity's pulls off it. <laughs> so is your fiance autistic? Yes, she is. How'd you guys meet? Oh, well, her name is Julia. And we met a few in back around 2015. There was like I live in southern New Jersey, like around outside Philadelphia on the other side and around this time I was looking for like adult autistic groups and there weren't many in southern in southern New Jersey or New Jersey at the time at all but this group was in eastern Pennsylvania like around the Montgomery County area outside Philadelphia and it was called socializing on the spectrum and I found in 2015 I they had like different groups they would meet for certain events certain parties and at the this woman, her name's Nancy, and she, the leader of the group, she had a house where people would have parties there. And that's, you know, I met a lot, of, met some nice people there, autistic adults who also were, who were trying to find other autistic adults as well. And, you know, after a couple of meetings, there was this one group event where I met her, you know, you know, she, I, one thing I noticed about her, she was like the most beautiful woman I've seen. <laughs> and you know, we were kind of like friends at the time, you know, we kind of met now and then, but it wasn't until 2016, September, 2016, in fact, that we were at this art festival and, you know, I, I had a relationship with someone else, but it was broken off in August mutually. And so, you know, I wasn't really looking for anyone at the time and she was there. She was, I'd see me, you know, and she and it was a hot day and she felt kind of faint. She wanted to sit down. 
And I told her, you know what, I'll go with you. You know, there was a bench that at the art festival and we sat down and then she held my hand and told me, you know, Robert, yeah, I want to tell you, like, I've had a crush on you for a long time. I love you. And then she, before I could say anything, she kissed me. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> you cannot make this up. And we've been dating since then. And then we've done a lot of things together. We've done like festivals, museums, concerts, we travel, we meet up with our friends. We do all these great things together. We, we work out together. We, like she's into like kickboxing and bodybuilding. She's an amazing woman. Hmm. And then I decided, you know, around before 2020, you know, next summer, I'm going I'm to propose to her. I was thinking, you know, we we're going to plan a trip to England in July 2020. But as you mm. know, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's kind of depressed me. Like, you know, it wasn't that, you know, we had to reschedule the trip. Like we've already going to reschedule that for our honeymoon. Mm. But it was the fact that I was going to propose to her there. Mm-hmm. That that was made me down the most. Right. But, you know, there's this place in called Cape May, New Jersey. It's a beautiful town that I, one of my favorite places on earth, I always went to as since I was a little kid growing up and Julia loved it as well. So in August, August 8th of 2020, we went to this place called Sunset Beach, found a secluded spot. I read her a love book. And then I got down on my knees and asked, hey, Julia Lee Ford, will you marry me? And she said, yes. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Mm-hmm. When is the wedding? July 3rd, 2022. Well, congratulations, Robert. Well, thank you very much. So some autistic people struggle with looking for a romantic partner. Why do you think that is? Really the, the social implications, you know, that many of us autistics have. Mm-hmm. Like some are better than others, but just that social implications that we kind of have and you know also that it seems at times society wants us to socialize or find relationships in this certain way you know you have to be this to to find love you have to do that to find love you know what i mean mm-hmm. but at the end of the day and it always depends on what makes you happy like what makes you find love what makes you want to find that special person whether that be um, a boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, and what have you. But we kind of have those like social anxieties kind of like makes it difficult for us to go out and find that first. However, you know, one thing I do notice is that it's been getting step by step and getting bit and by bit better. You know, then now it's like people know like, hey, we can love. Like there was this old argument and it's like oh autistics they can't they can't get married they can't get in love but but that's a lie we can fall in love like everyone else mm-hmm. and you know people are start, starting to wake up to that like there's this show from australia called love on the spectrum mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. joy and i have seen it before and you know it shows you know despite difficulties out there you know pe- people can find love they can get married there's this uh, documentary about this autistic woman. Her name is Dina. Julia and I actually know know her. 
and it showed about her her and her fiance in their marriage and shows this is proof this is living proof that we can find love mm-hmm. and the way to help us is ask us what we want on hear us on what we feel can help us have you ever dated anyone that was not autistic oh plenty actually to be honest Jul- i honestly feel that julia is the first person i dated who was autistic that's really interesting yeah cuz i had like many like in senior year of college i had i had a steady girlfriend then like you know after grad school i went i did like online dating like eHarmony the match then i went to match and went back to eHarmony and i've had dates it just you know some it fell through some lasted a good amount of time but it didn't last but you know hey i didn't feel heartbroken over it i just felt well just keep going Mhm. Yeah. So what are some things autistic people should consider when dating? Hmm. Know what makes you comfortable. Like what know yourself. Like what do you like to do? Mhm. What is something you like you like it and you know just be honest with yourself. And also take it slowly. Just take it slowly. You just have like a little meeting, you know. Kind of like start out with like a walk in a park. and get to know each other more see if the person has like a certain interest they have you know and see if you can do that with them and you can share your interests and that person can do something that you like what are some things non-autistic people should consider when dating an autistic person well one thing i can do i can definitely say is you know hear us out look at us for who we are not just for our autism look at what we are and you know see what our interests are and and see what we like to do and what we're looking for in love great okay robert switching topics what are your responsibilities as a licensed clinical social worker well my current job what i do i work with at the residential house i am the full-time therapist in which i do therapy with each of them once a week. I also do check-ins with each of them twice a week. And the sessions and check-ins like the type of therapy approaches I use definitely vary because you know knowing autism, you know, there's autistics who have more cognitive abilities and those who struggle more with cognition and and other issues who or who might have limited communication. So you have to really t- have to tailor to what their individual needs are. For instance, like there have been clients who I've worked with who I can do utilize CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy as well as motivational interviewing. And then there are those who who I have to be more like creative. I have to do hands-on would do like more hands-on activities like sense using sensory items and deep breathing mm. as a way of of helping them because a lot of them have issues of anxiety and anger and self-interest behaviors due to frustration. And I also conduct clinical group three times a week in which I would is more hands-on. Like it's it's not as like what you would think of a clinical group which there'd be just all talking. Like we have to do more hands-on activities in regards to topics of that day like you know for mindfulness we would do a kind of like a meditation session or an anger management we would kind of like 
there's this activity I do, which I would, which I've actually found through a book I read in the past in which there's a drawing of a bug. It's called like the anger bug or worry bug. And I had like the clients, like in the group, like color it in or draw or write it in. And when they're drawing in, think of like the things that make you worry and make you angry. And in the center of the room is like this basket. And what I do is think of now, I want you to, to take the bug and squash it with your hands. And I want you to throw it into the trash can. That's going to be considering disposing of your anger. Mm-hmm. And that's really effective? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. It's kind of like I've done something where I wrote down my complaints and I burned it in a trash can. That's awesome. <laughs> it's funny how it just like that physical disposal really creates a clearing inside of you. Yeah, it definitely does. It's just, it might sound simple at first, but when you really think about it, especially for some, for clients who've had issues of anger and, you know, depression and, and anxiety, just, they won't want to take that apart. And you, even though, like I said, it sound it might sound simple, like you're really actually disposing it. Yeah. So the people that you work with are adults, correct? Actually, no, they are adolescents. Adolescents, right. Okay. So what do you think would help autistic adolescents transition into adulthood? Well, one thing I can definitely say is know what, what they need. And hear them out from what they need. You know, so this could be a kid, there could be a, a teen who who wants to live away at school, like give them a like work with them towards that goal. Or they want one of them wants to go to trade school, work on with them towards that goal. Like don't assume, like, you know, just because they're autistic, they like you you know what their needs will be without asking them. And for one, like I can definitely tell you a personal story with that when. I was in high school, junior year. I've always had an IEP because I've also had like certain learning disabilities for my diagnosis of autism. So there knows that because my IEP and IEP, I would get psychological evaluations now and then in school. I remember this one psychologist, this older gentleman. I kind of talked to him about like what I was going through, what what I went through, and you know, all, and the things I want to do. Like I wanted to live away at school. And live on my own, you know. And after the evaluation, again, a couple of weeks later, like I received a, a paper form and a document of the evaluation for the mail. And my parents would let me read that, you know, because that's another thing. Definitely have if your kids, if the autistic teen is able to, let them read their own documents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't hide that from them. And anywho, I read it, and near the end, it in the summary, it said Robert Schmoot. It read on the lines of Robert Schmoose wants to go to school with high school. However, due to his diagnosis, it seems unrealistic. Hmm. I was definitely taken aback by that. Like, I was like, no, who are you? Who the hell are you to tell me how, how to freaking run, live my life? And, you know, I showed my parents and my parents were very supportive of me. They even said, you know, don't listen to this, Bobby. You know what you want. You know what? what you want in life and you go forward with that. Don't listen to this. And the thing is I went to school when I lived away at school for four years and you know, I proved them wrong. Yeah. That's, 
unfortunate that people are putting limitations on autistic people's futures. It's more common than you think, especially like, and that's the problem today is that, you know, we have like, there's those out there who say, oh, we must help autistics, but they don't listen to us. They think we're just one type of autistic. But if you met one, you met one. We're so diverse Mm -hmm. in our cognition and our skills and our interests. You know, you have to hear us out. And a lot like leaders and organizations that just don't listen. They need to listen to us. So were there some skills that you learned while you were an adolescent that helped you live alone when you were in college? All the skills I learned was actually when I actually lived away at school. You know, I was able to plan out like what my, have a planner for like what my classes are, what are my dates are. Like I took certain medications, like when do I need my medications filled? You know, having a plan for myself, a planner and things like that have helped me. Mm, Great. So Robert, you published another article in The Mighty titled How to Help Autistic People Find Jobs. And in this article, you talk about two potential pitfalls, social skills during the interview and misunderstanding of social skills on the job. Can you elaborate on this? Well, the thing about, like, for me, when I was trying to find a job, the most difficult thing was not how to find it, not like the job itself, but the interview. And the thing is, you know, there's so much pressure in that, you know, even if you know the answers and just know like what that job's about and you're able to answer that, it's just, you know, there's always the the thoughts of the anxiety within it. Like, oh, are your hands clammy? Are you, are you looking at them a a certain way? Or are you stuttering? You know, those type of things, not like the questions themselves, more like those type of things. And I feel that, you know, my thing to help them is to really is to help the autistic individual know like, okay, what about the, what about interviews like makes you feel worried? What about them? Cause everybody's different with that. Just really try to ask them like, what's something about the interview that you fear the most and we can work with you on that. Mm-hmm. And what do you think could be done on the employer's end? Kind of like have an understanding of, you know, that they're autistic you know have an understanding that you know let me backtrack that a little bit just not not really focus on like kind of the stuttering the claim more like how are they going to do within the workplace basically you know in the job itself if we know there's certain accommodations that help them work better like you know see if the employer can help with those accommodations or for instance, you know, like there's certain things that an autistic employee might do that help them concentrate, you know, let them do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you always disclose your diagnosis when you were applying for jobs? Not when I applied. Some, it depended. Sometimes I did. Sometimes I don't. It depended on the job. There was a one time where not at my current job, but at my, the one before that, where I disclosed in the beginning, because I'll be working with autistic individuals, it was autistic teens. And I felt, you know, I honestly felt, you know, okay, I feel safe disclosing 
But then, you know, I had a supervisor. I told her, you know, my anxiety with this new job and being autistic. And she kind of made me feel that ang- or that type of anxiety is seen as incompetence, which was not true. And then, you know, that we were in team meetings with other clinicians or clinical team leaders, as I recalled. And I kind of disclosed I was autistic just because we were in a discussion about it. And that supervisor said, you know, people are taking it back when you say you're autistic. Wow. Which to me, I was taken aback from that. Yeah. Luckily, I was able at my current job, I was able to disclose to to a past supervisor. She's not there anymore, but to her, I was autistic and to other, the clinicians at my current job. And at my current job, it's it's fine. No one said anything. And the reason that is because they look at me not just for my autism, but just but as a person as a whole. Yeah. And I know that everyone is different with their comfort levels also. Like some people feel like they don't need to say anything unless it's relevant or if it's brought up, even in social situations, right? Like with people they meet for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Robert, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you give to other autistic people? Well, one advice I do have to say is keep on going. It's a rough road. And your roads, each of your roads is different. However, take it one step at a time and keep on going. Don't give in. Don't give up. Keep on going. Great. Okay, Robert, how can people learn more about you? I have my email address. It is um, my last name, S, it's in Sam, C as in cat, H, M as in Mary, U, S as in Sam, the number is 898 at gmail.com. I can be reached there. I can also be reached on my LinkedIn under my name, Robert, and my last name, Schmoos. And I also, on the Mighty, you can find me under that name as well. I also have a friend and I who's, who's also autistic. Him and I have started like a speaking engagement firm so we can advertise our services, speaking services, where we speak about topics just as we talked about today. And that is called Schmoose and St. Clair. This is like my last name, the and sign. And St. Clair, which is S-T dot Clair at C-L-A-I-R. I'll make sure to put all of that in our show notes. Wonderful. Great. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for sharing your story with us. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. A mentor is someone who inspires you to find your own potential and encourages you to not give up. Robert's role as a licensed clinical social worker, along with his personal experiences managing anxiety, securing employment, and finding a romantic partner, allow him to offer valuable guidance to adolescents as they transition into adulthood. He is helping to improve the quality of life of many autistic people in his community. Are you a self-advocate willing to share your story and educate others? Are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? 
Are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our global autism community to connect and collaborate with people all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.